Howdy gang, you have found Back Country and Barbells. Today's episode brought to you by our partners at the Send a Vet Foundation. Check those guys out um, at send-a-vet.org. Um, the Send a Vet Foundation is focused on sending our nation's combat injured warriors on various outdoor adventures throughout the United States and the world. Uh, the volunteers, donors, and sponsors work diligently to provide the labor and secure the resources to ensure a safe and positive adventure experience. As a result, the programs at Sendavet assist in the psychological recovery of our combat injured warriors. Guys, it's a great foundation. Uh, I was at their auction this past year. Jeremy sits on the board there. And guys, they do great things. So um, lots of money has been raised, um, lots of hours donated, and lots of soldiers helped. Um, you can be part of that by checking out the website. Please do. And when you do so, let them know that Backcountry and Barbells sent you. Also, guys, um, one of our partners that also helped out with Sendivet is PR Lifting Quality Fitness Gear. PR Lifting takes pride and personal passion for gear, excellent customer service, and most importantly, being the place in the Pacific Northwest neighborhood to hook you up with what you need to achieve your next personal record. Uh, Jeremy is pounding away using some of their sandbags. Um, I love swinging their kettlebells along with various other products, guys. Um, they have everything you need. Um, in particular, if you are in between Everett and Portland, anywhere in that area, guys, um, PR Lifting will hook you up with the best gear possible and they'll get it to you i've had orders as small as a single kettlebell um showed up to my house um free um free of shipping and and you're not going to find that many places so check them out prlifting.com also guys check out our webpage and review the show um if you like what you're hearing it'd be awesome to hear from you so go to backcountry and barbells Dot com, um, and also wherever you're listening to this show, it'd be really cool if you just um, you hit them, hit that five star, left us a review, and uh, told us how we can do better, or maybe even um, suggest someone that we need to reach out to. Um, like today's episode is a friend of Jeremy's, uh, Pat Corcoran. Um, he's a Kansas hunter, has a nice spot of plot of land. Um, and he talks to us about how he manages that, how he hunts the whitetails on that property, and um, gives us some insight on what whitetail hunting is like in the great state of Kansas. So if you're into that, along with um, some fitness tips at the beginning, um, things to help you develop some overhead strength or, or pull-up capacities or even just uh, hitting some curls for the girls, um, I think there's something for you in this episode. And, uh, you know, all in all... Uh, in an effort to help you train, hunt, and live the best life possible, guys, we hope you enjoy Backcountry and Barbells, in particular this episode with Pat Corcoran to discuss white tail hunting. Thank you very much. <laughs> Howdy, gang. Backcountry and Barbells, uh, Joe Shamanic, Jeremy Day, and um, Pat Corcoran. Pat, what's going on, man? Hey, not much, guys. Just getting out of the gym this morning. Oh, that's right. Nice. Like to hear. Oh, good, good for you. What were you uh, uh, before? Uh, we'll get. Right, let's get right into. What were you doing in the gym, Pat? <laughs> let's just. Well, you know, in, in honor of what we're doing today, I was doing. I was doing a little bicep work with some barbells. Okay. Ba and uh, I do a little cardio. So. Okay. Well, how do you structure? Your, okay, buys for you know buys for the guys. Uh, 
curls for the girls, however you're saying it. Everyone likes everyone likes to work work some right. guns. Uh, any specific barbell uh, barbell exercises you're doing for those biceps? Hammer curls. Yeah, you know it's funny how I got into this. Yeah, it's funny how I got into this, Joe. I uh, wanted to be a little healthier just to get out and do things. And then about a year and a, a little over a year ago now, I had adhesive capsulitis in one of my shoulders. Mm. Which, uh, if you if you've never had that, um, I would not. Um, I would suggest you avoid it at all costs if you can. But what is it? So exactly. it made me change. Well, it's uh, you know what a Chinese finger torture toy is, where you put your fingers in and pull and you can't get them out. Yeah, I have one at my. Um, you seen one of those one, things? I keep one at the bedside. Okay. <laughs> so imagine, <laughs> imagine your shoulder socket. This might be a different kind of thing we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, Joe, I hear you. Yeah. Um, uh, imagine your shoulder socket. Imagine your shoulder socket completely frozen up. Gotcha. So I had to change the way I worked out once this happened because um, I had no movement in my shoulder, and that really made it hard to shoot my bow, which is the really bad part of this whole story. Mm. So uh, through a lot of physical therapy, it was just mobility exercises. Gotcha. Um, trying to get you know, mobility, and... Uh, I conquered that probably uh, three, four months back, and so now I'm just trying to put strength in that mobility. Now, what was the um, so what was the catalyst almost, for the for the, fr- for the frozen shoulder? What, well, what was the catalyst? I mean, what you know, it happens. If you read if you read about yeah. it, um, it happens to a lot of old people, and uh, you know, I do have a few gray hairs, but I'm not that old, okay. so I was a little young for it to happen. So. They said probably uh, some kind of injury at some point in time. I don't have any torn rotator cuffs or anything, but uh, some trauma in there, and then it just starts to build up um, scar tissue and cartilage and stuff, just starts to squeeze in to protect that joint, and it just keeps going and going. And so um, finally had to do a couple cortisone shots to to free that guy up, and, uh, and then lots of physical therapy for about a year mm. and, uh, could have been boat when it could have been archery. Honestly, when I started archery, Jeremy, what, uh, three years ago. Yeah. Three years Probably. ago. Yeah. I started, I started traditional, uh, compound bow about three years ago. Um, and I uh, might've just been bad form and stuff like that kind of contributed to it. Um, but, uh, that's all I know about that other than now I'm just doing every exercise imaginable. I like to do twenty ones. I do those. I've um, nice. been doing those for a long time. Yeah, twenty ones with uh, the twenty uh, ones with the curl bar, where you're like seven down, seven in the middle, uh-huh. seven full. I hear you. Yep, yep, yep. I like to do those. I do uh, set it, sitting and uh, standing uh, curls. Okay. And then I do reverse, and then I do the reverse um, curl with the straight bar. Very good. I'll tell you my uh, my favorite yeah. my favorite bicep exercise lately has been um I've gone to um I've gone to just standard pull-ups where with that that chin-up grip um it, it mm-hmm. that's that's become a favorite for me and uh I when I really want to dose things up and get my biceps kind of little 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 bulgy for the woman, you know. I want to see if she notices me walking by the refrigerator. Uh, I just I'll turn on the eccentric phase a little bit and just lower myself just a little bit more down in there. Um, but I, my my big question for you, Pat, is uh, 
I'm always interested in rehab and what sticks from rehab because I've I've been able to avoid the catastrophic injury where you know I get surgery or I have some something really acute put me out for six weeks or three months or something like that. So in that regard, I've been I've been pretty successful, but I've been on the fringe of a lot of physical therapy work. Being married to one, I did a podcast with one. Um, I even did a little bit of teaching with a group called Mobility Wad for a little bit, but. Um, I'm always interested in what kind of uh, rehab exercises end up like sticking and becoming like an exercise that that now is like prehab or or something that just makes you feel good. Where I, I'll jump on a bunch of band work and do some like pull apart and some rubber mm-hmm. band exercises. So, is, is there any of that that you might be able to pass along to the listeners? To saying, man, if I knew this exercise was available before I started bow hunting, um, I would have done it. So I maybe could have possibly avoided the situation. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, one of them that's big for me with this shoulder issue that's really good for it is that the hanging, you know, getting my arms straight up above my head. Yeah, great. And uh, that stretch to stretch the lats and all that, it's, that's been a great one. Uh, Jeremy and I have been to a couple of those hanging competitions where you hang for so many minutes to win something. And <laughs> oh, yeah? I can go, you know, I can do at least two minutes, sometimes three uh, just because of I've worked that long enough now, and it feels good to stretch that um, that muscle out. You should um, see the look on his face. And... Like a funny one. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> the, the look on his face is unbelievable. Uh, he is he is like focused, like a laser beam, man. <laughs> he had it. The whole room was staring at him because he was like, "What are so? I got it. What are the hanging competitions? Like it's just it's it's like a I almost picture it's like a dorm room yeah. thing. I mean, what's going on? You're just so you, there was one at the so there's a company that uh, uh, is into fitness products and supplements and different things. Uh, Mountain Ops, you might have heard of those guys. Oh, okay, yeah. And uh, so I, they had a deal at the Sportsman's Expos they were at last year. One was in Portland, and I don't remember how many minutes you could hang. And you, each so long, you got something right. And there was a hat I wanted, and of course it's for a charity or something. You donate some money and you awesome. do this. And I'm like, how long do I got to go to get the hat? So I went long <laughs> enough to get the hat. I could have made it long enough to be in the drawing for like a fancy package of stuff, and I didn't want that. I just wanted the hat. So do you still have the hat but, is uh, my question. I do. Actually, I, I was running at the gym today. Oh, fired up. Very good. Yeah, uh, the, the hanging stuff's yeah, great. Yeah. I forget um, I forget where I got tuned on to that, but that's also one of the reasons I do a lot of pull-up work, and I always will kind of start from – my warm-up for pull-ups is always just a dead hang. And I, I, I would suggest anybody who's got shoulder issues to, to hang every day. I mean, just get – that's why, again, when, we, when mm-hmm. we set up our base camp program or even advise anybody into setting up a home gym, I'm like, you need a good pull-up bar. I'm not talking about one of the door hanger frame ones. I was like, if you can, you know – Get, go for it and mount something to the ceiling and put it right into your studs or put that two by four up there and and hang and do your work from there and, and even if you can't do a chin up and you can just hang from that thing um for guys and gals i think it's i think it's an unbelievable do, do you switch your grip up do, is it always with that kind of um do you uh-huh. do you pronate the grip or do you, do you will you supinate into that kind of chin up style grip as well yeah i do all of those the gym has one of those uh multi uh grip bar uh, overhead things and I'm a taller guy so oh, awesome. I like the ones where I can jump up and grab them instead of the ones where I gotta bend my knees but uh, yeah so I like the one where your hands are kind of a 45 degree angles Perfect. because it doesn't crank it, uh, it's less stress on my shoulder joints it sure. feels like 
Um, I can do the standard pull-up, but that probably isn't necessarily the absolute best for my shoulder. Yeah. If I can turn those shoulders in just a little bit. Yeah, even when I was heavy into weightlifting, um, I, I remember I had a big powerlifting buddy who came in, and uh, he was he was he wanted to get into weightlifting. And and if you know powerlifters, they spend a lot of time bench pressing and, and can get pretty girthy and shouldery in the chest, and then that might restrict their overhead positioning. So um, I was just watching him do pull ups, struggling with him, and I, I got this idea that if he could do a wide grip pull up, and if he could pin his traps to the top of the bar. Um, and hang there for a moment um, with with the bar. If you can imagine, he'd be pulled all the way up with a wide grip and his head slightly forward, kind of like if you were in the same position where if you mm-hmm. had a barbell racked behind you. And I just had this thought that if mm-hmm. he could if he could do that, because when he first came in, he couldn't get his he couldn't get his neck within six inches of that bar. I just had this idea that if he could do that, it would really open up his uh, overhead position, and it, and it did. Uh, if if that that kind of wide grip hang, or if you can do that kind of style pull up, uh, and I know sometimes mm-hmm. folks can be afraid of those things, but I think I think the danger is like jumping into the deep end of that pull, like really hard and, and aggressively. But I think if, like you said, if you're on a forty five degree hanging from that bar, and you can kind of slowly work your grip to a place that it gets past where you're uncomfortable over, over a long time. I think, I think that's the benefit. Mm-hmm. And I think in general, that's probably what, how people need to attack most of their fitness is just slow and steady. Not, not jumping in a deep end, like a, like a, like a 17 year old might. Yeah. I get bored too. So I like to change it up. Okay. But, uh, I showed you, you probably know the need for this exercise, but imagine your arms at your side and you just lift your hand up. So that it's uh, parallel with the floor, and you got like a can of your favorite beverage in your hand, <laughs> and then you just move your arm out to the right, yeah, there you go. and back and forth. Yeah, that's a good one. You know, uh, <laughs> it's a, it's to a 45-degree a... angle or a little farther you go. They tell you to put a, a towel between your body and your elbow when you do that, yep. but this seems like the most lame exercise in the world, but I'm telling you, it really does help your shoulder. <laughs> No, and then to be, I've done something similar with my knees when I was heavy into weightlifting. Just gapping that joint a bit and creating some space, I think is um, I think it's a great one. And even Jeremy, I don't know if you saw even recently posting that video about getting that band on the sh- on the um, on the ankle to create some space. I mean, um, are you are, are you tinkering with any of this stuff, Jeremy, just to keep your joints uh, limber and, and loose uh, as we get into hunting season? No, because when you released that, I was out of town and I just got back yesterday. So oh, cool. um, I was going to try it here um, probably tomorrow. Sweet. Yeah. Well, you've and been see how the, you've been training, buddy, while you're on the road. Of course, dude. I'm up at five a.m. and in in the gym. Um, Pat and I travel quite a bit together. We kind of work together in sorts. I and um, yeah, he does. And we're usually in the gym every single morning and um, and get it done. So yeah, I always travel on the or I always work out on the road. We'll fire so you know, I had a little short three four weeks where I couldn't because I my skateboarding incident. But yeah, I'm back on the back on the workout wagon. So I've been pretty sore for the last week and a half. Well, we have to we have to reacclimate, and um, we will talk about this uh, skateboard injury one time. But uh, it, it's not gonna it won't happen today because we have <laughs> we have Pat on, and uh, the, the, yeah. the the cool thing about Pat is, um, you know, we spent a lot of time um, in the early goings of the show, kind of focused on the elk game, and um, there are other four legged critters with antlers, and um, white tail and mule deer can really captivate some folks, and and Pat in particular. 
um, you kind of have a, a, a really cool uh, whitetail thing going on, and, and we thought we'd um, have you on just to discuss maybe how you got into it and, and maybe give some tips or tricks to somebody who, who wants to get their own little whitetail setup going. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah, so, so, so how did you get into oh, it? Man. What is the whitetail situation? I mean, uh, where did where did you well, first fall in love with this animal? Well, I've, I've lived in Kansas my whole life, so that's uh, probably where the, the, the problem starts from the beginning. But uh, not a whole lot to do here other than hunt and fish. Um, you know, it's the one of the benefits of living here. You better like to do stuff outdoors. Um, we don't have mountains. The scenery is not the greatest, but um, when you when you drill down into it, the scenery is fantastic. If you like doing outdoor stuff, um, which I do. So um, when I grew up as a kid, you know, we went hunting. And uh, we didn't have access to other places, but we live next to one of the largest inland saltwater marshes in the United States. And believe it or not, it's in the middle of Kansas. And it's on the uh, Central Flyway. So we grew up um, every single day, most of the year, hearing waterfowl flying around us. And so I really grew up as a, as a waterfowl hunter. And, of course, Kansas is always known for pheasants. But uh, you used to always see these deer running around. And we just, you know, never really hunted them every I don't know, every two or three years, my dad would go with some buddies, and he liked to hunt, whatever, and so he'd go with somebody, and he'd bring home a deer, and like, oh, that's cool, and uh, I think when I turned 16, he had a friend whose dad owned, um, owned a farm, and he says, hey, we're going to go deer hunt this year, because uh, I always ask him about it, and I'm like, cool, all right, and he goes, okay, we're going to get a new gun, we're going to get a scope, we're going to get everything ready, and I'm like, yeah, let's do it, and we go, and the first morning, they send me out, and uh it was, um, it was about a mile section of land, which it, Kansas is nothing but a bunch of squares, roads, and it's diced up into miles. It's pretty much how the whole state is. And uh, they sent me a half mile in right in the middle of that section. And uh, they go in there, and you're going to find this tree and sit underneath this tree, and then just wait and see what's moving. And we're going to kind of walk these uh, shelter belts towards you. And, okay, great, great. I'm not kidding, guys. I went in there 30 minutes probably after the sun came up. And I just see this big old buck just prancing <laughs> towards me, kind of on a run, but not really on a run. And uh, luckily enough, I made a running, a, a prancing shot at him and, uh, you know, put one right in the wheelhouse. And, uh, you know, I guess I was probably hooked from, from there going forward. Um, it was a great experience. And uh, the funny thing is my dad had shot a deer when I was a kid and, uh, that deer would fit inside the rack would fit inside the, the first deer I ever shot. Wow. So of course I'm thinking I'm the greatest hunter in the, I think I'm thinking I'm the greatest hunter on the face of the earth. Right. <laughs> I'm thinking this is, you know, little did I know how, uh, how average or even below average that deer was, uh, you know, for the state, but, uh, but it's fun. Uh, we didn't eat a lot of game when I grew up, which is the weird part. Um, we hunted a lot, but my dad didn't like, game a lot but my mom did so she was always a willing sport and would make stuff and uh, but we never really ate deer either which was kind of a bummer um my uncles hunted and occasionally they would give us some they'd make their own sausage or something i had an opportunity when i probably got to be in my i'm thinking now late 20s yeah my late 20s probably i got to a point where i had an opportunity to join a they have some, used to have some, I think they still exist, but some clubs where you could join and you could get access to some land to hunt. Um, Kansas has a lot of walk-in hunting, which I did for years, and it's pretty good for a lot of things, but, uh, 
pressure is the biggest thing, right? It's mm-hmm. a you always you and a bunch of other people out there. Um, it's just no different than anywhere else, you know, when you have public land. Um, so I found this place and I thought, oh, it'd be kind of cool because you know, less pressure. And that's really when I got into doing more whitetail hunting. And I think probably the first or second year I was in that organization, um, I was doing some scouting along a river, um, went out there and just saw this really big buck. I mean, like, I mean, for me, one of the bigger deer I'd ever seen, just, you know, my naked eyes running around. And it was on this piece of land that I had reserved to hunt on for, for rifle season. And uh, lo and behold, I go back out there during rifle season, and two or three days in, I seen going to bed one night with a doe and snuck in there, and the next morning, I was able to get a close shot on him and, and dropped in. It's the biggest deer I've ever shot today. And, uh, you know, we started eating it at that point in time. And here's a funny story for you. I didn't know anything about this. I take the deer to this meat locker. I shot a few other smaller deer a year or two before just with some friends and you take it to the meat locker and I took this deer in there and said, what do you want us to do with it? And I'm like, well, just we like steaks. We don't like roast. I said, so just make everything else into summer sausage. Cause I didn't know how big this deer was. Right. <laughs> I show up and I have like four meat boxes full of summer sausage. <laughs> nice. And a meat box. I, I, I wrote a very large check to the meat locker that year. And I realized one thing in the future, tell me exactly how many pounds of summer sausage you want. The rest, you just get in burger. <laughs> That's crazy. It's, it's, it's 80 cents versus seven bucks a pound. <laughs> <laughs> so, so It Pat, was really good, but we had a lot of it for a long time. So I, I, real quick, for you know, my, my only experience with Kansas mm-hmm. is I drove through it once, road tripping from um, San Antonio up to Montana to visit some family and, and – um, it was dark and rainy and flat, so um, th- that's all I remember. Is I can I just thinking how flat it was. But um, what, what you mentioned previously, though, that there there it is pretty country. So c- convince somebody like me who who's only experienced with Kansas as a drive through and a drive through and a flyover and and and, and we're flat. So you, you talked about the scenery. Um, um, sell me on it really quick and, and give me give me give me the postcard for Kansas that that that's beyond flat. It's probably three different geographies across the state. Somewhere to what Washington or Oregon would be um, Colorado as a similar thing. Um, what you have is kind of on the western side of the state as you head east is more your, um, not really desert, but it's more drier land and a little bit of a rolling hill to it. I, I lived out there a little bit as a kid. Um, farm ground for the most part, but you'll have a lot of just um, grasslands and stuff in those places. Central part of the state is uh, the most probably uh, fertile, lush agricultural area. It's kind of where I grew up. Um, they'll grow anything and everything out there. We didn't grow a lot of corn when I was a kid out that way. I think we do now. Just uh, I think they get irrigated a little bit, but uh, you know, it's that's where all the wheat, soybeans, the milo, um, river river bottoms, um, a little bit of trees where the river bottoms are, but not a lot of trees. So people still think it's flat, right? Um, and then when you get to the eastern side of the state, it's more big rolling hills. Um, where I hunt now and where we have this piece of property over there where we hunt is kind of where the buffalo, it really is where the buffalo roamed. Um, the eastern side of the state up through the north central part of the state and then as you head up into Nebraska and the Dakotas and towards Montana is all kind of similar geography there. Kind of big rolling hills, um, blue stem native grasslands. 
um, bluestone are pretty cool because they have really long roots in the limestone, and that's what that really lush, fertile um, grass is. Um, that's what the buffalo like. That's what a lot of farmers put their cattle on this time of year. Tons of cattle from all over the country come into this part of the country right now just to do this spring, um, early summer um, grazing. So it's really pretty over in that area. So is is that eastern side is this the state? Is that where where folks uh-huh. will typically find these the the big old bucks, the monster bucks that people would would, would uh, signify with Kansas? Or is that in the west in the middle? I would say no. Okay. Yeah, I would, I would. To be honest with you, they they exist everywhere, but more of them exist in the central part of the state. Gotcha. Based on what I know, growing up, um, I think it has something to do with the soil <laughs> content, the agricultural content. Those deer just grow bigger. Um, my brother lived in north central Kansas, and he shot a deer. Uh, it was huge body wise for a whitetail, and it had a broken rack, and it still went. Um, I think it went almost one seventy, and had a broken rack. Um, so those guys will live everywhere, but, uh, really the central part of the state has more of them. Eastern part of the state, just because of the geography, um, uh, I hate to call them woodland deer, but, um, they just don't have to be as big bodied as they do in other parts of the state. Oh, very cool. So, so, um, let's get into your track of land specifically. Cause I thought the, the, the cool part about this conversation would be, to maybe help folks who are interested in it. And in particular, I'll tell you, I have um, a personal motivation because, uh, you know, as me and my wife get closer and closer to the end of this military situation, you know, I, I particularly see us buying a little chunk of land somewhere. Now, I don't I don't particularly see it being a 1,000 acres, but I could see myself being on that, like, 50 to 20-acre side of things where we have a little plot of land where we could grow things. But ultimately, you know, I would like it to be nice enough where if there's a weekend and it's deer season, wherever we kind of lay our hat at the end of the day, you know, maybe I could uh, attract some critters there. So um, I thought it'd be cool to, to shift the conversation to, to you know, how you began this project. Because uh, h- how long have you had this um, this piece of land that you've been um, not, that you've been managing uh, to, to hunt with? Is it, uh, Jeremy mentioned 12, year, 12 years? Yeah. Well, I was talking to the landowner the other day, and I think, honestly, we're closing in on close to 15 years now. Wow. <laughs> Very cool. That I've had this little, my little piece of heaven, I call it. Um, my kids, my family refers to it fondly as the lease. That's just, that's our name. They know where I'm at if I say I'm at the lease. Okay. So, uh, it, it isn't quite like Texas. You know, this is just a, this is just a working farm. Um, luckily, though, the, this farm is a little different. It's kind of a hobby farm in that the guy who owns it, he doesn't uh, farm it to make a living. Um, he's he's done real well for himself, so this is his little piece of heaven, too. He's got a little place he just likes to get away to, get away from the city and tinker and do things. And uh, he's getting a little older, and that's how I got involved. He didn't really hunt much anymore and gave me the opportunity to. And just I kind of helped manage the game on it, and uh, he appreciates that. So, uh, well, and how was it? Different pieces of. Hmm? Go ahead. Yeah, fifteen years ago, you acquired it, and how? What was the deer population like, and quality of deer, and then that versus now? Because I know I, I've I've hunted this piece of property three years ago, and you know people talk about you know land management, and you get out there and you kind of do these bait stations and put up um, 
tree stands, ground blinds, all this other stuff, and then the deer just walk underneath you, and that's not what happens. You spend a lot of time in a tree stand. I mean, you can watch some deer come through, and opening morning, I was all kinds of pumped. Um, I had like eight deer coming below me, and two were bucks, but um, I went down that rabbit hole. But you got it 15 years ago. There was a deer population and a quality of deer, and what's the difference now? Well, it uh, the deer population will ebb and flow a little bit. I mean, you know, that we don't uh, – so here's the good and bad of leasing a piece of property versus public land, as you guys pr- can probably figure out. Um, when it's a piece of public land, everybody in the world wants to go out and find an animal or critter and, and harvest it if they can, right? When you get a, when you get a piece that you want to manage, it, it kind of almost starts to go a little bit reverse of that, right? You're like, oh, wait a minute, man. I want to make sure I can get the best possible – crop of of animals just like you would a crop of wheat or corn or soybeans or anything right so you really try and manage it from that perspective so we shoot as many deer as as um we can eat really um my friends always they just love the way they taste um in kansas i can shoot a whole bunch of deer just because they give you lots of tags um out of staters i think you can only shoot two a buck and a doe but we live here i think i can shoot up to maybe five in that unit that's excellent um you know and then yeah it's good and we, we love i mean they taste they taste incredible oh my um, gosh did you ever... right, this... <laughs> yeah i was i mean i was yeah, so I'm... impressed it was like the best meat i've ever had i was like holy smokes and i think i got like 140 pounds or so 120 pounds. what was it pat do you remember I think they're pretty close. I think we figured the bucks, the, the big mature bucks we're shooting are probably in that 210 to 235 pound range. Yeah. Um, is, is probably the average for the, for the mature bucks. So and, as, as you, as you're, as you're, as we're thinking, of, cause you know, when you manage this piece of land, I mean, the, you want quality animals. So does that start with what's in the mm-hmm. ground or does that start with patience and letting them grow? I mean, or, or is that, are they both the same thing? I mean, is it, is it, I'd imagine it's gotta be a little of both. It is. I think it's a little of both. When I, when I uh, first acquired this piece of property, um, there was a lot of alfalfa farmed on the property. And uh, you think, all right, man, we've you know, got alfalfa all year long and it, it is good. Don't get me wrong. Um, but it's different, and alfalfa is really bad on the on the soil. And I'm no biologist, so so please don't don't hold me to all these uh, these facts. But it's really bad on the on the land. So you have to do certain things to keep um, the land healthy when you do alfalfa. It's a lot of work, a lot of maintenance. Um, so they kind of switched off of that um, a couple years into it, and didn't do as much alfalfa. And there's still a little bit of natural that comes up, but it just from didn't get all killed off, I guess. But now it's been either soybeans or corn, pretty much the the remainder of that time, which has been at least 12 years now, probably of of every other year soybeans, every other year corn. And uh, so, as you can imagine, um, my the deer that are over there on that property that my family eat eat better than most people's animals they buy meat from, you know, the meat they get at the store from animals. Um, they eat soybeans or corn or they're eating blue stem grass, um, all year long. Very cool. Yeah. And the, the grass management I know is a big deal. I was, um, when I lived in South Carolina, I befriended a, um, 
a really good beef grower and he specifically had set up his plot of land in South Carolina and he he ran a mix of rye during one part of the year and, and something else just because uh for for the um for the Angus he was growing he just found that 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 grass had a particularly high protein content and it survived throughout but he mixed rye with something else um and, and he'd rotate those guys through but his whole thing was he 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 had a really great process for for being able to marble um grass-fed beef and um the, i don't think they're currently in operation mm-hmm. i actually think he had passed away recently but um uh the folks at my Beck were doing doing a great thing have you have you noticed with this mix um like i said jeremy's obviously a fan of what you're growing uh uh deer wise out there and 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 what what they're eating and obviously they're pretty healthy but have you noticed that this particular mix of soy corn and um what was the grass that you particularly think they're eating blue stem yeah is it, that's been a pretty healthy mix for those guys yeah yeah and don't get me wrong they always uh you know we have we're along the river so we have a lot of oak trees and knowing other things you know they they love to go through there and pick up the nuts uh when they start falling in the, in the fall and things like that but for the most part that's what they eat um I think it is, and, and, and a funny thing that we'll find out here in the next year or so, Joe, is uh, the state of Kansas has programs for farmers, and my landowner likes to try some of those out. And last oh, year cool. they put in a cover crop. Yeah, and it and it had rye, um, beets, and one other thing I can't remember the name of now as well, but three different seeds. And uh, it didn't do a whole lot last fall, but oh my goodness, this spring that rye went crazy. Um, so... It'll be interesting to see how well if that changes the the you know the quality of the meat or the taste or the any of that uh, this fall. Oh, sorry, Pat. Yep, no, that I I'd be interested to see how that goes. So, working with the working with the state is that a pretty easy process for for most folks? I mean, you I know you can only speak from the Kansas perspective, but I mean, I'd imagine the state. Um, they're they're pretty happy and, and willing participants in helping folks manage their property. Oh yeah, yeah. They have extension offices in uh, every county. I think of the uh, around the state, and they have different programs. Uh, the, the one Kansas was always known for years ago was like involved. Most of the farmers were involved, like the CRP program, and uh, a lot of people love that. Right, that was stuff that was just like go back to natural with all the grasses in it, and it was made bedding areas for you know, um, all kinds of animals, deer, a lot of big bucks hide, hide in CRP fields as well as pheasants and quail and, and that kind of stuff. But uh, these programs are to help, you know, we, we're along a big river. We got a mile and a half of river that runs through this property. Very and cool. so they've had programs to try and keep stuff going, run off from out of the river. Um, you know, they want to try and keep chemical agricultural stuff from getting in the rivers. So they have programs to filter that with grasslands and it helps the little songbirds and things like that, which is pretty cool as well. So would you suggest for, for someone like myself who has an eye for maybe a, a, a plot of land in the future, it, it, how important is it to have a, a piece of water running through that? I think it's, well, I've hunted a lot of places over the years, and I think it's really critical. Um, water will, um, main, will, one, maintain that you have deer all the time. Because if you've got food and water, they don't have to go anywhere else. Sure. Um, that's why I call it my little piece of heaven over there, because um, they don't have to go anywhere else. You know, we've got a very, very large cropland. Um, we got the river with wa- water all year long. And then even in, I call it drought years, we've always got water. And then um, 
we've got a lot of cover along the river. So I think if you can be in those areas, those are the the key areas for whitetails for sure. Um, we have ponds in Kansas and a lot of places in the dry areas, and a lot of deer will come out of those CRP fields and go to ponds because they need water too. Um, but if you can get some running water, that is um, most ideal. Fired up. Yeah. And with the, over, the, over the course of the last four or five years, a lot of hunting shows have been focusing on or are filmed in Kansas. So land acquisition and leasing and all that is getting more and more competitive, right, Pat? I mean, this year you had to pony up a little bit more funds yeah. for the first time in, what, 15 years? Because guys are coming in yeah, and adding and, pressure. Uh, it is economy is part of that. You know, I've been involved in this kind of thing for oh, 20 years now or better, leasing properties and things. And um, when the economy is good, you know, more people want to do this, have more expendable income. Um, but um, people watch TV shows and YouTube and all that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of exposure to it. Um, trust me, it's a great place to come. But, uh, you know, we, we for years, we always had really as many tanks as you wanted to. And, only until in the last couple of years, I know that there's not been enough tags to go around for all the people that want to come and apply in the state. So there's a little uh, uh, issue in the state right now. I didn't know that's been completely resolved, but they're trying to get it so landowners um, that have a fair amount of land can buy a tag and actually um, resell that tag or give that tag or whatever to another hunter. Um, so imagine if you got a family member and you got a piece of property, Joe, and you over here in Kansas and the guy applies and wants to come home with you and he can't uh, potentially at some point in time, maybe you could buy that tag and then you could sell it and your family member could come over and hunt your piece of property hmm. is, uh, is sort of what they're after. Um, I don't know a lot of people in Kansas don't like the idea because we've gone both directions over the years. And uh, a lot of people think that's why we don't have quite as many big bucks as we used to. Um, you almost had to shoot them out of the road when you drove down the road because everywhere that we looked, <laughs> there was a giant white tail and, uh, nowadays uh they just they're in the ditches they're a little farther off the road now they're not in the middle of the road well it makes me think of it uh, i read an article recently um in in bugle um the rocky mountain elk magazine um and they were just talking about the, the i think the article is called where have all the big uh bulls gone and it just comes down to on public land that you know we're, they're just they're not letting them get big anymore to some degree. Uh, I think that this article, this article kind of chronicled um, a patch um, in Montana where it's just, you know, when you get more guys in the woods, you know, the bulls that used to be passed over are now being harvested just because there's just more and more people. I mean, I imagine that, that that's just a natural, that's just a natural thing. Do you think, do you think that there it, might be a place? Yeah. Is there a place for that where it might be, Hey, you know, it's, I, again, get whitetail world, uh, uh, five point or better, you know what I mean? Uh, a spot like that. Do you think there's a place for that sort of management now that more and more folks are coming into Kansas to, to hunt, to hunt big bucks? I kind of like the idea from that perspective, but, um, one of the, one of the biggest groups that actually supports hunters in the state is the insurance companies. Okay. And the insurance companies are always trying to, you know, get your regulations better, more tags available, let you try and um, shoot as many deer as you want, that kind of thing. They're lobbying for that because we have a lot of deer and car strikes. Yeah, I was going to say, they don't um, want cars getting hit. I mean, <laughs> and we have a lot of them. And yeah. you can imagine, I don't know what the bill is, it's getting hit these days, but 
it's many thousands of dollars. Well, let me right? tell you exactly what so it is. So they can spend quite a bit of money. <laughs> I uh, we, we were driving across when we moved from West Point to Washington. We hit a uh, we hit a deer in um, West Virginia, and I to be honest, I think this thing committed suicide because it was in the <laughs> it was in the other lane, and I. I saw it from about, you know, 400 meters away. Like, I saw it from a good ways off, kind of banking around a turn pretty quick on the highway. Um, I, I just let off the gas and was cruising and didn't didn't swerve, didn't try to didn't try to stop. I was just kind of staying in my lane. And then when um, we got to about, you know, a few feet from it, it jumped right in front of my car. I couldn't believe it. And uh, what, what, the, uh, what the folks in West Virginia told me was my high beams being on was my fault. And then not having a deer whistle on the front of my car was the problem. Get your deer whistle yeah. and get your high well, beams. Get on deer whistle. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but it, that yeah. ended up running me um, oh, a new headlight, new fender. Um, we we ended up having to actually hang out um, in a in a place for a weekend because uh, you know we were traveling with the kids. That super expensive. I could definitely see where USAA uh, probably wish that you know someone would have shot that doe before I ran into it. <laughs> yeah, so that's the problem. When you've got organizations like that, they probably wouldn't be quite as keen on the buck management. You know, maybe yeah. you could shoot more does. And, and uh, I don't. I, do, I have friends that come and, and um, hunt with me occasionally, and I don't, I'm not a guide. I don't have any particular rules or anything about when they come, but I always tell them, I'm like, look, if you shoot a little one and, and it's in the back of your truck, you can't shoot a big one. And... Uh, what you know, I just always tell them, like, look, what, you shoot whatever you want, but you probably ought to just get your eyes around what's available first. Sure. And a uh, good example is I had, a, I had a new friend come in and hunt last year, and it was opening morning of uh, rifle season, and uh, he'd never been to hunt in Kansas, but he hunted Missouri, and he's a great shot, and he harvests animals in Missouri. Well, Missouri does have regulations, I just know from the past, I think it's still that way. Certain units or certain counties are four points or better on one side and things like that. And uh, he's sticking his gun out the blind window. You know, it's it's like 30 seconds after shooting time starts. <laughs> and I'm like, he says, Buck, there's deer behind us. And I'm like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure there probably are deer behind us. And he's like, and I'm like, well, can you, I said, you know, you need to tell me before you shoot, just so I can cover my ears. And, and then he was like, okay, get ready. I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I said, are you sure it's a shooter? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm like, okay. And, yeah, I mean, within the first three minutes, boom, and he's got one down 80 yards behind us. And uh, beautiful deer, really, really nice eight-pointer. And then here's the funny part of the story. He went to run out there. I'm like, no, 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 we don't want to mess this up. This is prime time. Let's wait for the next hour or maybe two because a bunch of deer are going to walk by us. We don't want to mess this area up. Then we'll go down the hill, and we're going to get our buddy, and we're going to come back. Okay? So he can hunt you either this afternoon or, or maybe later this morning. Because we had a buddy behind us about a half mile on the other part of the river. And, uh, okay, so for the next hour plus, I think we watched 45 deer walk in front of us. Oh, my. And I seen two of the biggest, <laughs> I seen two of the biggest deer I have seen with my own naked eyes. I've got trail cam pictures of them, but I haven't been close enough to even harvest some of the rifle in the last uh, three to four years. And they all walked within 250 yards of us. That's unbelievable. So and, uh, does that does that take so a little he, bit of so the? You can see that. Uh, you know, does that take a little bit of the the? It seems like you know they're there, 
Um, is is there still sport with it? To be honest with you, I mean, it, not to not to beat around the bush with the question is is it is it still sporting when when you've when you've you know you've been working this land for fifteen years you, you know the land's there you got the trail cans up you got this you got this unbelievable setup and you've obviously done great work but is is it still sport to you to know that hey you know I am going to see you know in that instance forty five deer walk by and, and 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 a bunch of shooters. Joe, I'd like to answer that one. No, go for it, please. So, you know, people think that you're just up in this blind and you've set right on their corridor and then they're going to come right into you and then you're going to shoot one. You know, what happens over there is that they're kind of going for bigger quality, mature bucks, you know, and then towards the end of the season, you know, typically they'll kind of take out the, the, the littler ones or the ones that aren't up to snuff. But what I was super impressed with was how well-managed Pat had this thing because he had, you know, areas where he's feeding them to, you know, build up the racks and also have the, the blinds around. And, um, he has, you know, ground blinds, tree stands. I mean, it's, it's almost an art form. It truly is. And you're sitting up in that tree stand and you have all these deer come below you, but they, they're, they're, they're not all shooters, but there's a lot of them. And, the sport is is being able to stand up, be able to pull your bow back, and be able to shoot because these deer know where those stands are. <clears throat> and for instance, my the buck that I shot, I was sitting there. I heard them. I couldn't see them. They were coming through. They, they, um, Pat said, "Hey, you'll hear them kind of clickety clack through the creek or the river, and then they'll start coming over and." Blah, blah, blah. So I'm hearing this, and all of a sudden I see this buck just running as fast as he can, and he's he's sent checking this whole river system, and all of a sudden these deer, there's I think seven or eight of them behind me, two big bucks working them. And you usually have, Pat, I guess, with the archery over in your neck of the woods, it's probably the furthest shot you would have is 40 yards, you would think. Yeah, I, I mean, some guys might shoot farther, but, you know, we're, we hunt uh, with archery on the edge of timber, and you, you, know, you just can't see that far. It's just like where you guys live. Right. And so I'm sitting there, and um, I, I slowly move my head over, and I get pinned by a doe. I mean, she's standing right there 30 yards away looking at me, <laughs> you know, and, and I'm picked, right? So then I'm thinking, okay, game's over. Well, her commotion and snorting and all that other stuff brought in the other, the, the big buck that I ended up shooting. And, um, it, it to me felt like a sport. I mean, you're going into tree stands and you're hoping that they're going to come in your direction. Cause they're, you know, people say you can pattern them and you can, but when you have a piece of property like this, you're waiting a long time to get a good shot or the right shot or the right deer or what have you. And, um, to me, I, it, it felt sporty and I, and I was super impressed on how Pat managed it. No, I, I love the idea that, that it's more than just getting the animal down. It's the whole setup. Um, uh, and, and I think that's great. Pat, do you want to jump on, on that a little bit and chime in on, on, yeah. on the sport of it yeah. yourself? Well, my, my wife, uh, my wife always laughs at me when I, uh, when I tell her I'm going hunting, and uh, towards as the season, you know, we have a really long season, especially for archery here in Kansas. Um, it'll start the middle of September um, when you can hunt, and then it'll run all the way to the end of December for bucks. And uh, she'll eventually start asking, "Are you are you are you ever going to shoot anything?" <laughs> Is what she asks. Are you ever going to shoot anything? And 
Sounds like this my is, wife. This is kind of funny. This this is my, and it's not that I don't want to shoot something, but um, going out there and sitting in the woods is my temple. Yeah. That is how I get closer to nature. Um, I know you guys have talked about this before in some of your, in one of your podcasts, but uh, this is where I disconnect from the world and kind of get my me time and just tranquility and absorb, you know, get closer to nature. And uh, it's a spiritual thing for me. I just love sitting out there. Um, what I do to make it sporting, especially early in the year before it gets too cold and I freeze to death, is um, I try and pick a buck or two that I'm going to go after. Because, uh, you know, I could just randomly go out there and something walks by and I just shoot it and I'm done for the year. Sure. What I do is I try and pick a particular one. So for me, what what uh, what feeding um, or some uh, people in uh, Western states, you know, they go put critter lick out and they do whatever they can. In like Iowa and places, you can't do that. So they plant food plots, right? Well, in my area, as I mentioned to you guys, we've got a lot of habitat. Um, I can't compete with 300 acres of standing corn in September, sure. right? Like I can't compete with that. They're going to go on that corn and eat it right off the cob and the, you know, all, all day long. So what I do is all year long, I put out protein in the um, early parts of the year to help with antler development, usually they say to start that right after the rut because the deer are so worn out and depleted. And we usually will have at least a couple of bucks every year die um, in the wintertime after a rut. You know, it starts getting cold, December, January, we'll have a couple bucks die. Um, some from old age, but just being too worn out and they can't make it, they get injured. So, so you can, feed them, not to help them grow. Yeah, not to interrupt, yeah. but the the protein yeah. is it like a, like I, you know, you say protein, and you know, when I supplement protein, it might be like mm-hmm. some some powder or something. Right. So is there is there are do they have? Yeah. You're talking to a novice here with this whitetail world, but do they have like protein supplement style uh, feeds yeah. For, yeah, for, for deer? And there's a bunch of them. So. Um, you've probably been into a big sporty goods retailer like a Cabela's or Bass Pro yeah, Shops, yeah. right? Um, in, in, in my, they have, we have one in, in Wichita now, but uh, we typically all go to the farm stores, and the farm stores around here um, carry that stuff as well. In New Land, there's a large variety. So they'll have, um, they'll have rice bran is one that some people feed. Um, they've got these protein pellets, and they're made from different crude uh, proteins, and basically processed and put into a pellet form that are, you know, bags. You can load them into feeders or dump them on the ground or whatever it is. Um, most people in this area uh, and a lot of parts of the country feed corn. I mean, that's one thing, right? You, you feed corn. Um, I learned this from my brother years ago. A friend of his would lease those CRP fields, like I mentioned earlier, in, in places. And uh, they knew there was big bucks in the area. They just could never get it seen. They didn't know it was in the area. They would literally take a pickup bed full of corn from the co-op. They go in the co-op, have them load the bed with corn. They go out in the middle of the CRP field, and they would just shovel all that into the CRP field, make a pile of it, and then stick a trail camera up on it. And the idea is something's going to come by and eat corn. Let's sure. just see what it is. And that's how they find out these giant bucks were in the area. Um, so imagine um, – so take a one-mile by one-mile square piece of property with no roads through it, Right. You want to try and see what's in that area. That's why we feed. So we put feed out, and then we put cameras near the feed just to see what's in the area. I can tell you this, and I've got videos of it to prove it. Bucks during the rut when you're hunting will stay 
at that corn and maybe eat it for like 15 seconds. I mean, that, I mean, literally, if you're lucky, they'll stand there for 15 seconds, sometimes 30 seconds if they feel comfortable. But what they're really coming to the corn for is their scent checking because all the does will come eat on that, especially as the weather starts to change. And the does will stand there and they'll drop scent. So what the bucks do is the bucks just come by scent checking. They're typically not eating a lot during the rut or even pre-rut. Um, yeah, we've heard that on a on a there was a there was a cool podcast about mule deer where some mule deer biologists were talking about how um how in the rut, you know, they were studying these animals and, you know, regardless of the feed that was around, they weren't eating during the rut. They were <laughs> they're focused on 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 two things, you know, fighting and the other the other good F word. So, you know, so, yeah. so which you know, which is, you know, it's yeah. crazy. To, it's got to be cool to you know, in, in a moment a moment ago, I was kind of asking about the sport of it, but I'd imagine there's got to be a connection with the animal when you end up spending that much time with it and learning about exactly what makes them tick oh, yeah. to to a really deep. You know, watching them with trail cam, setting this up. I mean, did, you mentioned a moment ago that you make it sport by uh, going after a particular animal. Do you ever get in a situation where you've gotten to know the animal so well that you are reluctant to pull the trigger? I mean, it's almost like shooting a buddy, I'd imagine. No, I mean, we're we're adversaries is the way I look at it. I right? you. We're, we're combatants. Um, <laughs> you know, to play. Um, he's, he's trying to avoid me and, and out-duel me, and I'm, I'm trying to do the same, right? Um, that's the yin and yang for me as a hunter. I'll tell you what's made it more challenging for me, Joe, is I mix up my, so I was always a rifle hunter. I, my dad was, um, at the time, I don't know they had professional bow shooters, but my dad was kind of a amateur professional bow shooter when I was a kid. Oh, and I cool. shot a bow a, a lot. And then my, and then my dad got hurt in the wheel field and, uh, hurt his back real bad for many years. And couldn't pull a bow anymore. So we shot guns and that's what I did to my formative years. And, love guns and uh, hunt with them. And I've done that, a, you know, a lot of years. And then my dad and brother got back into, I got a younger brother who's quite younger than me. And they got back into bow hunting when he became a kid. My dad started bow hunting again. And I always wanted, man, I just want to bow hunt with those guys. So I got into crossbow just because I wasn't into a traditional bow, right? Or a, a compound bow. So I started crossbow hunting for several years and, um, opened my season up, allowed me to hunt a lot longer because rifle season in Kansas is only 10 days for, for bucks. Um, so I got into crossbow and shot several bucks, some nice bucks with a crossbow. And then finally one day I thought, you know what, I'm going to try this compound bow thing. And plus that way I can travel around the country and I can hunt a little bit easier because it's much easier to get tags to do archery hunting than it is rifle hunting um, in other parts of the world. You travel around um, the, the United States. Well, but then I got into muzzleloader hunting as well. So I got a muzzleloader. Um, so all those things make it more challenging for me. Um, it took me two years of bow hunting to actually shoot um, a nice mature buck with my bow. So last fall, I was finally able to put down a, a really nice uh, white tail with, with a compound bow. The year before, I had missed one. Um, actually, I missed two. Um, I missed one just because it was too dark and I couldn't shoot. And uh, the other one I missed, uh, I think it was a day before Thanksgiving. And uh, boy, he picked me out right at the last minute. And 
I ended up, he moved when I shot and I just, you know, I shaved some hair off his bottom of his belly. Mm. And, uh, boy, that, that Jeremy, again, Jeremy's right when he said this, any little thing out of place, they are on you. Um, so the art form of it is being that ninja in the woods, um, being able to, to pull it off. Um, last year was kind of funny. I, I hunted a different tree stand. I usually never hunt. I think I had Jeremy hunt it one day, but, I hunted the tree stand. I never really hunt because I knew there was a lot of deer using a trail in that area, and uh, it was peak rut. And uh, I put down just a little bit of, I guess I'll call it critter lick. Um, I think it was a powder protein or something just in the trail. And the only reason I did that is, is during the rut again they're just running, and I just wanted something to stop there long enough to give me, you know, five seconds hopefully to pull a bow back and shoot. And uh, I had eight bucks come by that morning, and sure enough, when this buck got up, coming down the trail, he was headed right for that pile that I'd put there, and uh, super reluctant. And just about the time he goes down to just to taste it to see what it is, a doe saw me start to pull my bow back and blow, and, you know, it's it's over at that point in time. Uh, they're going the other direction, but uh, that's what I find challenging about it. Um, I enjoy just seeing the animals. You know, I told somebody a long time ago, when you pull the trigger, the fun is over, really. Yeah. I mean, the work begins. Um, the misery, I mean, if you, I have had, I had an opportunity where I made a, a, a poor shot on an animal that had to commiserate over it for three or four days. And then, uh, th- this was last year, actually. And I got a second shot, shot at this deer. And I didn't even, I, he wasn't even remotely wounded from my first shot. Um, three days Four days later, I was able to get him and got him come by me again and, and put a, a beautiful shot on him this time. But, uh, man, that agony for those four days waiting to get that next opportunity was uh, was hard. Well, the, was there's, really a, hard. Um, there's a cool movie um, by Donnie Vincent about um, it's the river. I think it's called, like, The Rivers Between Us. You might want to check it out. He actually... He was scouting this buck for a long time and ended up getting a bad shot on it and had to wait a year. And and he he did for for a year. I guess he was checking trail cams and didn't know if he couldn't find it after the shot. And um, it's a it's a it's a cool video. I don't want to I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but uh, it's a it's a it's a pretty cool it's a pretty cool video. And at least for, at least from my wife's perspective, it helped her kind of understand why I'm into it a little bit because it gets more into it. It gets into exactly what you were talking about this adversarial. But you are adversaries, but you still have the mutual respect for another. And and it was cool to watch. Um, it was cool to watch a hunter kind of go through a bad shot and 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 kind of recovering from that and and figuring it out. Actually, how to how to um. Again, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but uh, check it out, man. It, it it it's a it's a neat perspective on it. And uh, it, it, what was the name of it? It's called. Uh, I think it's called. I'll look it, it up. It's the river. Is it who we are? No, it's a Donnie Vincent film. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's uh, the rivers between us or something. Oh, okay. uh, Donnie, let me look it up. I just I'll get the name out. It, it's it's worth it's worth every cent. Um, yeah, the rivers divide. It's agony. Yeah. But it goes it it it, it paints the picture for exactly sure. what you what you were describing. Um and um you know I haven't gone through that. I mean Jeremy the, the first animal I killed was, you know, at Jeremy's um Jeremy's Jeremy called in a turkey for me this past turkey season and 
the thing took a step and um uh, there we had it so um that that's a part of that's a part of it that that I haven't experienced yet that um I'm intrigued by it in in a way I don't want to have to go through it but I, I it's probably inevitable no. you know yeah. what I mean so um uh, especially for you I mean you it's well, an animal we, that you know about yeah and I mean I'm I'm all about uh you know I want to make a clean ethical uh you know harvest um as, as quickly as possible. Um, one, because my, you know, we want to eat this animal. Uh, of course, that's, that's part of it. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what I, the efforts I went to, um, the night I, I made the, the shot when, and, uh, wasn't, wasn't the greatest shot in the world. Um, it was sort of snowing and sleeting. And so it made it almost impossible to follow up blood trail in the, in, uh, that evening. So the next day it had snowed. And so my thought was, I'm going to get over there and look for him in the snow. And, uh, the idea was that obviously if he's bleeding somewhere, I'll be able to see the blood on the snow easier. Sure. And, uh, I have a, I've got a four, I've got a four wheeler. And so I drove around and I put some corn in front of all my trail cameras and I thought, okay, maybe I'll get a picture of him, you know, this way. And, and, uh, I actually saw him that day with a, with his herd, his harem of does and a couple small bucks. And I found his bed. He was laying down next to an oak tree in the middle of the afternoon and I found his little, just the tiniest little speck of blood mm. on the snow where he'd been laying. And I watched him run off. And of course, my arrow wasn't in him anymore. And uh, knew where I hit him. It was non-lethal. And uh, so I uh, had a little fall at home that night. And I actually cracked two ribs at home that night. Oh, that's so. And uh, it took me it it took me two days to get up enough, you know how that is. If you ever injured yourself, you guys been in sports, but to me two days where I could breathe and walk semi normal. And, uh, so I think on the third day I did told my wife I was going hunting and, uh, was able to climb up into a tree stand with broken ribs and sit in a tree stand that morning. And, uh, you know, I, I think somebody was looking out for me that morning cause, uh, you know, about five minutes before the um, actual sunrise, here he come prancing right in front of me and uh, you know, was able to put a nice clean shot on him uh, about 32 yards. So, uh, But mind over matter that day, you know, the broken ribs didn't matter at all. was able to get it done, was able to get him cleaned and loaded and all that stuff by myself. And, and uh, But without the trail cameras, without putting the feet out, without doing those things, um, I'm not for sure I would have been able to make that happen, um, just knowing he was alive and where he was, and where he was at. No, it seems, um, you know, I like the thought that you're so into making sure that I'm going to get that one, right? How much of that goes into all hunters in general? I mean, if it, w w when is it a place to, to give up on a bad shot? I guess is the question for you, Pat. I mean, and is that different when you're hunting your own property versus if you're in a, you're in a, a public land setting? Yeah, probably. I mean, honestly, you know, the, the one or two days after I shot him, whatever that was, um, uh, I think I was out there, um, looking for him and I was in a tree stand, um, one night and that was, I think it was the night after I broke my rib. Um, I was in a tree stand just looking for him and had two or three other bucks walk by me. And one of them was a really nice shooter. And I could have easily just, you know, shot that deer and not worried about it and went on with it. Cause I'd, you know, done my due diligence and I'd seen, you know, I'd seen him and knew he was alive, but, uh, 
for me, I just felt like if I got an opportunity to harvest that animal, I'm going to. Um, and so I'm going to put some extra effort into that. Um, I know guys that will, I know there's guys, and you'll see it online, guys talk about it. They'll notch their tag right then, and they'll just say, I'm done, and they'll be done for the year. Mm. Um, you know, they won't, they won't go, they won't spend a lot of time and effort looking for it, or maybe after a day of looking for it, they'll stop and just say, I'm done, I'm not going to do it anymore. So that's kind of a personal matter for everybody. Um, you know, I'm lucky because I got this large piece of property and knew no one else was going to be in there, so I knew one way or another we'd figure out if he was alive or not alive and, and what was going on. So, yeah, I've seen different stances on it. Even it worked out. we've, we've talked with Trent Fisher at born and raised and we've seen them talk about, it. I mean, Jason Phelps missed the shot on that series last year and had a bad hit and they couldn't recover it. And, um, you know, to each his own in that regard. I mean, I, I think everyone who's out there, uh, you know, uh, man versus critter, man versus mother nature, you're sorting it out. You have to make your decisions and, 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 and go through it. Um, uh, it's interesting though, man, because it, like I said, even, even in a situation where, as I joke about, you set up your, your kind of Sim city for deers, you know what I mean? In real life, you know, you, you, <laughs> it, there's still, there's still the sport involved. I mean, what's the recently, a couple big name hunters are going out to Lanai and, and, you know, you got these, you got these axis deer everywhere mm-hmm. supposedly, but just because they're everywhere, doesn't mean you're going to seal the deal, especially, especially when, when you're, you're going at them with a bow. So, um. No, it's interesting, man. Hunting. Yeah, a good. It's not easy, you know. You got to make you got to make that shot. I've, even with rifle, I had that good friend of mine has been coming out here and hunting with me for quite a few years from out of state, and and uh, he's missed several deer that have been, you know, right. You say right in front of us. I mean, we can see them right there within sure. gun range. But you know, when you get buck, you know, the buck fever kicks in, the wind's blowing, or it's cold. I think one. One morning he shot a deer, and, and no joke, I think it was five degrees, wow. and that was without the windshield. Um, yeah, one, the next morning he <laughs> shot a doe, and, and it was definitely like minus 10 when he's out there getting this doe the next morning. Um, so um, it's not easy. Like I said, you got to put in the work. Some guys can't handle the weather, the cold, and the, um, you know, you got to have the, you can buy all the clothes you want, but in all honesty, you just got to be able to, have the desire to work through that um, discomfort of the weather and and uh, the nerves and all that kind of stuff to get it done. But uh, it's a lot of fun. I mean, uh, I just love seeing the animals. Um, you know, that's the biggest thing for me. That's why I left the trail cameras out. I was just over there a few days ago, and I've already got the, the bucks and velvet pictures. And I was already going, oh, yeah, he's back. Oh, it looks like he made it through the winter. Nobody shot him. Uh, we have neighbors at hunt. That's um, awesome. So, you know, I can do everything I want. Yeah, I do everything I want. If the deer happen to go on to the neighbor's place, they might just decide any deer is good enough for them. Um, so you kind of never know which deer exactly makes it through the season. But, uh, but I, I think it's a lot of fun. And, you know, I, could tell, I can tell people this. I, it doesn't matter what I feed or put out. or um, I cannot compete with Mother Nature and just giant fields of corn and soybeans and things like that and the blue stem grass. Um, so property, you know, the, the, the kind of property and the quality of crops and stuff that come off that area are as important as, important as anything um, to the quality of the deer you have in the area, I believe. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, Jeremy. Um, 
Pat sold me on going to Kansas next year or as soon as we can. So uh, you sort that out, Pat. We're gonna have to do. We're gonna have to do like a. We're doing the e meet today via the Skype and chatting with you. But um, no, it's it just even more than hearing about the big bucks. Just hearing hearing about uh, your passion for the animals. Uh, I'm super interested in it. Um, uh, and uh, I appreciate you spending time with us on on the show and just talking a little bit. We're we're gonna have to have you back on um, after the after the um. After your fall harvest, uh, we'd love to have you back on to just talk about uh, what went down this year. Jeremy, uh, what do you think, man? What's it going to take for us to get out to Kansas next year? I don't know, man. That'll be we're, first. We're going to have to draw if we do it, and uh, you gotta, that's kind of a you feat. Apply and get a tag is the hard part. Okay. Yeah, because this is the first year, right? That everybody, that all the all your buddies didn't get tags, right? Yeah, yeah. This first year, and geez, I don't know. Probably four or five years that uh, people I know didn't get tags to come out and hunt with me. So, um, you know, it's it's um, it's a popular place. Okay. There's no doubt about it. Um, I would I would tell you this. You know, there's probably other places in the world you can go to shoot bigger deer. By all means, I'm not for sure you'll shoot any that taste any better though. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> right. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm, I you know next to the experience, I wouldn't the the meat would be a close second, or if they're not if they're not crossing the finish line at the same time for me. I mean, because um, you know, uh, you, you tell ask Jeremy yeah. when I killed that turkey, I was I was babying that that carcass and cutting. You know, I wanted to come home and trim it up, and uh, even the little black tail that Jeremy got this year, um, he gave me a hind and a and a. Uh, hind in a front quarter to tinker with and just to bring it home and, and, and butcher it out and to do different things with it. Um, the, the meat side of it is, um, is a, is a pretty big deal for me. So no, I'm, if, if it tastes good, I'm, if it tastes good, um, I'm in line. Don't worry about that. <laughs> well, I'll get you a sample. You, you won't have to wait a year and a half or whatever. I'll okay. get you a sample of some meat this, this year. Okay. And then, uh, that'll even make you want to come even more. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. Well, well great. All right. Thanks. Thanks guys. It's been fun. No, very yeah, good. Thanks Pat. And Pat, the, the last thing we'll say is if, um, uh, if folks do, um, have questions for you in particular, if you, if you struck a nerve with them, is it okay for folks to reach out for you any particular way? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not in any particular, I'm not a, you know, a sponsored hunter or anything. I'm just an average guy out there, but, uh, I would say maybe they could just reach out to you guys and you guys could, uh, you know, I could answer them on your forum. Might be the easiest way since we're let's do it. Since we're promoting what you guys do, so uh, I love it. Just their Instagram on your guys' site. I, I you know, I'm on there, and uh, might be the easiest way to reach us. Well, there it is. Yeah, that's what's nice about Pat and his land. He 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 doesn't, you know, farm it out to anybody. He doesn't let any Joe Blow hunt there. It's just all friends. Very so cool. he's he's a very generous man and lets people come out and enjoy the great outdoors on his lease. And I mean, it's he's a super good guy. All right. Yeah. We'll, we'll fire up. So if you yeah, guys, it's not a business for me. It's just a hobby. So cool. Well, if, if anyone's got questions about whitetail, um, whether you want to set up your own property or, or, or um, maybe the ins and outs of of what to do in Kansas or or how to make that happen for yourself, if you are lucky enough to draw a tag as things get more competitive, uh, uh, send us a DM or an email um, through the Backcountry and Barbells channel, and we'll be sure to get you in touch with Pat. But um. Uh, Pat, I th- I think you did a bunch. I mean, in the beginning, we hit the shoulders and to cover a bit of the training side, but uh, <laughs> specifically hitting that 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 hunting aspect, and then how that can just um, bring value to your life. I think you, I think you did a lot for the train hunt live conversation we're trying to have. So thank you very much for joining us. 
Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Cool. God bless America. <laughs> That's it. God bless America. Fired up, guys. Great episode. New information for me in particular. Um, as I learn more and more about this hunting game, it's great to come across guys like Pat um, who are all in. All in in many, many ways. So any questions for Pat, guys, um, send them our way and we will get them to Pat and we'll get you guys in touch. Also, guys, if you're looking to get in touch with our show sponsors, check out peerlifting.com. Check out their website. Check out their gear. Check out their products. Um, Anthony and the gang over there will be sure um, to hook you up. Also, guys, Send a Vet Foundation hooking up our nation's combat injured warriors in various ways, in particular trying to get them outdoors um, to experience new adventures um, that can hopefully help them right their ships. Also, guys, BackCountryBarbells.com. Check out that webpage. Lots of great stuff there from Jeremy and myself. All in an effort to help you train, hunt, and live the best lives possible. Thank you very much, and until the next one, thank you.